All right. Well, it is good to be together. Uh, it is good to be close and to keep each other uh, warm on days like today. Um, has anyone noticed that, that as the Christmas season goes on, and maybe some of you have kids that are in school, or maybe some of you are college students that are coming back, you ever notice that things just get a little crazy around the house? People just start acting weird. They just start doing things that... that you don't do the rest of the year because you're just kooky. And maybe it's because you want to, you know, the kids are ready to be done with school and they're just getting antsy or you're just excited to be done with work for a few days and, and, and you're just kind of excited. And people do weird things. Well, I love Christmas movies and sometimes people do weird things in Christmas movies and so maybe the craziness around your house and during the winter season has been something like this guy. Let's take a look. you love Cousin Eddie? He always knows what to say. Bingo. Bingo. Well, hopefully nothing at your house is going as strange uh, as that guy, but thank you to Clark W. Griswold. The season does make us do strange things, and maybe you've uh, felt like those effects are, are getting to you a little bit, and maybe you just want to stay inside, but we're glad that you're here uh, today um, in, the, in the messiness of the weather and in the, in the busyness of the Christmas season. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to gather together and to remember why it is that we celebrate Christmas today. We're going to be looking up different uh, scripture during the message today. And there are Bibles that are just on the ends of the rows. And so if you're someone that's on the end, go ahead and just pass those down uh, to people as you need them. Also, there'll be some ushers walking around. Just raise your hand if you need one. The references are going to be up on the screen, but you'll want to look the verses up uh, there in front of you. Um, and it's just a good, good habit to get into as well. Um, if you have your own Bible, just get in the habit of bringing that here to City Branch. We use that uh, quite a bit. Um, speaking of kookiness around the house and crazy things, there was, uh, there was a one year growing up at my house. I would like to say that it was when my brother and I were really little, but it was just a few years ago. Um, so it's kind of a humbling uh, experience uh, to, to talk about. But we were thinking, um, we, I'm just not very good at buying presents for my parents. There's, 
we have everything that we need. And maybe you're experiencing that too, is that there's a lot of people that have far less than we do. And so my brother and I, are, who's a couple years older than I am, we're like, what should we get our parents? We've, we've already gotten them a few things. You know, I get my mom the typical spatula and I get my dad a hammer and then we're good to go. You know, but it's like, we're just missing something this year. And this is a few years back. Like, what could we possibly give them, my parents, that would just, that would just make their day? And so my brother had this brilliant idea of, well, your name means gift of God. And, and I'm sure my parents like me, like me too. Um, so why don't we give ourselves? And I'm like, oh, brilliant. Let's do it. How are we going to do that? Well, being the expert cardboard, cardboard fort builders that we were, we go down to our basement where we have all our extra cardboard. You know, the, the, um, the you know, washing machine boxes and the big refrigerator boxes. You've probably thrown some of those out. We keep them and we build forts out of them at the Anderson House. So we went downstairs and we got one of those and we're like, okay, I think we'll fit. We found this, you know, old box that the washer and dryer came in. So we're like, okay, I think we can fit in that. And so we got uh, some wrapping paper, not a lot, because that would use up like five rolls of wrapping paper to do that. And so we just put a little bit of wrapping paper on. I think it was like Scooby-Doo wrapping paper or something like that. And so we, we, we inconspicuously bring this box up the stairs and uh, into kind of a side room in our house. And it's been about 10 minutes, and so I don't know if our parents knew what we were doing or not, but basically we disappear. They don't know where we are. And so we open up the box, and my brother and I, who are, you know, high school age, we're, you know, decent-sized guys, crawl inside this box and are trying to put the finishing wrapping on, you know, so it doesn't look like we knew how we got in. And then we just have this big, gigantic bow. And so as we're closing the box, then we just stick the bow on top, and we just sit and wait. And our parents, being the good-humored people that they are, you know, you kind of hear them walking around the house, and my dad's like, Boy, honey, I wonder where the boys went. I don't know. They must be missing somewhere. You know, so they're just kind of playing along with us. And then so they come in, and we kind of hear them, because the, the, the wood kind of creaks when you come into, we're kind of in the office area, and so they come in, the wood kind of creaks. And right before we, we sense them getting to the box, we just pop out, both of us, and we just say, Surprise! Merry Christmas! It's us! And, you know, my mom's just like, oh, great. You know, they're just playing it up and everything like that. And my mom still to this day says that was the, hands down the best Christmas present that she ever got. The best Christmas present, the best gift that my parents ever received. Because the truth is, when it's a matter of love, you give yourself. When it's a matter of love, you give yourself. And so I want to begin today by, by telling you three different stories. And that's the first one. And then I'm going to tell you one more. And finally, we'll get to the scripture. But I want you to think not only with your heads, but with your hearts. And listen to the story and see if you can't sense God speaking to you something about the truth and the depth of the Christmas story. So I want to tell you a parable that was written by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And maybe something of the Christmas spirit will stir in your heart. Once upon a time, there was a certain king who was very rich. And his power and his prestige were known throughout the land. Yet something was missing in his life that kept him unhappy. And he desired a wife. He desired a mate. And without a queen, his palace was empty. But one day he was riding through the streets on his big fancy carriage, riding through the streets of a small village, and he saw a beautiful peasant girl. She was so lovely, just at sight that the heart of the king was just melted. 
and immediately won over. He desired her more than anything that he had ever wanted, more than all the riches and all the lands and all the big castles. And so on succeeding days, he would ride by her house at the mere hope of seeing her, just a glimpse of her for a moment in passing. He wondered, how, how can I win her love? He thought to himself, I know. I will draw up a royal decree and I will require her to be brought before me. And then I shall make her the queen of my land. But as he considered and thought, the king realized that she was a subject and that she would be forced to obey. He could never be quite sure that he had won her love. And then he said to myself, I shall call on her in person. I shall dress in my royal garb and my robes and and wear my jeweled crown, my best rings, my silver sword, and my most colorful tunic. I will overwhelm her with my majesty and position and sweep her off her feet, and then she shall become my bride. But as he pondered that idea, he knew that he would still always wonder whether she had married him for the riches and the power or just because she loved him. Then, he said, Ah, I will dress as a peasant. I will drive into her village, into her town, and I will, I will have the carriage let me off. And then in disguise, that I will approach her house and then reveal who I really am. But somehow the, the fakeness and the duplicity of this plan just didn't appeal to him. He knew that he must let shared love cross the gulf between them. And at last he knew what he must do. He would shed his royal robes. He would go to the village and become one of the peasants. He would work with them. He would live with them. He would suffer with them. He would actually become one of them. This he did, and in doing so, he won his bride. Because when it's a matter of love, you give yourself. The scripture we just heard read for us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger. Because when it's a matter of love, you give yourself. You come yourself. And so the question is, why do we love stories like this? Why do we love a story of a king and a peasant girl? Simply this, because it's a retelling of our story. It's not just about a peasant girl. It's about a king and his beloved. And how we are that beloved. It's about a king, our king, who shed his robes and came to live among us and came to be with us. You see, power can do everything but the most important thing. It cannot force love. And we know that Jesus had all the power and authority in the world. As we learned a couple weeks ago, the Greek word for that is exousia. Say exousia. You can also use it when you bump into someone. Just a reminder. It's exousia. It's the power and authority that Jesus has. And He has it over all the world. But power cannot force you to love. And so Jesus demonstrates a different kind of exousia. He demonstrates a different kind of authority that night in Bethlehem. What we find is that when you're the God who is love, 
it sets the stage for an incredible story. The God of the universe becomes a baby and chooses to live among the peasants and chooses to live among the ones he loves. And so, as followers of Jesus, we know this morning that this story of Christmas and and what we celebrate is this simple yet absolutely incredible truth that God is with us. God is with us, Emmanuel. And we just heard from the star in the Christmas program that this was such an important star because it was leading them. It was leading the shepherds and it was leading the wise men. Not just to a tiny baby, but to the face of the God that created them. God introduces this powerful truth at this point in the story. And it's what we'll call this morning the be with factor. Say the be with factor. When it's a matter of love, you give yourself. When it's a matter of love, you come yourself. You go yourself to be with them. But what we often forget is that the be with factor does not just stay in the Christmas story. It's the, when, when God sends His Son into the manger, it doesn't end there. It's only the beginning of the be with factor and it becomes a lifestyle that Jesus lives as He grows up and He goes throughout His ministry. This is far beyond just a Christmas theme. Let's take a look. To give you a little bit of background into Jesus' day, and still in, in a lot of places today, in, in other countries, eating with another person is not just something that you do, just, I got to get my food and I got to run. Eating with somebody, eating with a group of people in Jesus' day was an act of intimacy, to be there with them. It was a social and interpersonal experience. And it, it's hard for us to grasp that idea of what that's like in Jesus' day because a lot of us are just so accustomed to, to being in the car, to being busy, to being on the go, and we just run through the drive through or we eat in front of the TV, and families just don't sit down and eat together, let alone lots of friends and family getting together, except maybe for the holidays. But to someone in Jesus' day, sharing a meal was a sign of fellowship and community. Eating, eating with people meant that you desired to have a close relationship with them. You were wanting to invest in their life. You were inviting them into your life. So let's look at this scripture today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And that gives us a little background into what we read in the story. Mark chapter 2, 15 through 17. Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house. Mark chapter 2, 15 through 17. If you got it, say, I got it. All right. Starting with verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were called Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so right in front of the religious leaders of his day, Jesus continues this radical idea of the be with factor. And he not only talks with, but he eats with sinners. He eats with the outcasts of society. This this act turns the social norms of Jesus' day upside down. 
So can you imagine the setting? Jesus, this great rabbi, this great teacher, is sitting around a table. Maybe they're even reclining on the floor. That's what they did in the day. He's, he's reclining on the floor with ragtags, misfits, criminals, prostitutes, outcasts, all sitting around with Jesus as he's breaking bread and passing the plates. They're staring into the face of God. Jesus later tells us in Scripture, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because when it's a matter of love, you come yourself. We have a God that doesn't sit up in heaven waiting to condemn us, that's, that's angry at you. We have a God that comes down and sits with the lowest of the low, the left out, leftovers, burned out, outcasts of society, and he looks at them in the eyes and he says, I love you and I am here to be with you. But you can't look into the face of God. You can't see Him up close unless you come yourself because when it's a matter of love, you come yourself. And so again, the incarnation that we talk about, Jesus coming to earth in the form of a human, does not end with Christmas, but the incarnation continues in Jesus' ministry. And it didn't even end there at the table. It went out into the streets. We hear this story in Mark chapter 1. There was a man who had leprosy, this horrible disease where no one would ever even want to get near you, let alone touch you. But we read the story in Mark chapter 1 of this, this leper, this, again, an outcast society. He comes up and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, please, heal me. He begs to be healed. And Jesus, it's always the method not just what he does. Jesus not only says, yes, I'll heal you, just stay away from me and you'll be healed and go away. Jesus touches him. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Let's, uh, let's read this together. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Hold your finger there, and let's look at that verse a little bit deeper. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this book, takes us to the central truth of us uh, as, as Christians what, what we believe as Christians, what we believe about this time of Christmas is God with us. And Paul says, you know what? It's not just a Christmas theme. This is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. This isn't just for full-time ministry people. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for people that work at churches or for ministries. This is for all of us. All of us who follow Jesus. The idea that God has given us this love, that it's so good, that, that what Paul's saying in this verse is that we don't want to just tell you about it. We want to model it for you in the way that we live our lives. Paul is saying, come and watch me. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's the be with factor. It's not just telling somebody about it. It's inviting them into your life so that you can demonstrate it for them. That's how the love of God gets shown. Because we loved you, we were delighted to share with you 
our lives. Not just the gospel, that's great, that's awesome, but it's communicated through us living our lives. Because when it's a matter of love, you don't just tell them about it. You give yourself. This is what makes life worth living. This is the key to having a rich life. This is the key to getting rich quick in life and is far greater than any Christmas material gift that you're going to get this year. It's far greater than any Christmas bonus that you're going to get. Sharing your life with another person, sharing the love of God with absolutely no agenda, that is the greatest gift that you can ever give anyone. Investing in someone, inviting them into your life. Well, okay, okay, you might be saying, okay, that's awesome and that's great for Jesus and that's great for Paul because that was kind of their full-time gig. I mean, they didn't really have anything else to do. I mean, it's like, Jesus, do ministry, Paul, do ministry. That was kind of their job, right? That's kind of their gig. And you might be saying, well, I'm kind of busy. I don't necessarily have time for that. They had plenty of time. I don't have any time. Wrong. Every time we read in the four Gospels of Jesus' life, we know that it happened very quickly. We know that Jesus did not have a lot of time and that everything that you read in the Gospels, Jesus accomplishes in three years. 30 years of prep for three years of ministry. Jesus didn't have all the time in the world either. But watch how Jesus spends his time. Watch how the be with factor comes to life. He spends his major- the majority of his time with 12 guys. Screw-ups, mess-ups, Losers, outcasts of society, once again. He spends his majority of time with 12 guys, and then even more than that, three guys, Peter, James, and John. But yet Jesus took the time to sit, to eat, to go to parties, to rest, to pray. Jesus knew his time was short, but that's how he chose to spend his time. It's to be with factors, to be with people. Yeah, he talked to the multitudes, but think about how much time he invested in those guys, and those disciples changed the world. Same thing with Paul. You look throughout the letters in the New Testament. According to Paul's teachings, they didn't know when Jesus was going to come back. It wasn't 2,000 years later. Jesus says, I'm going to come back again, and Paul's like, okay, I'm going to hold you to that word. And so Paul thinks that Jesus could come back any day. So Paul doesn't have a lot of time either. But look at what Paul does in his ministry. Look at the way that Paul lives his life intentionally. He was known to stay at people's homes for days, weeks, months at a time. Paul, Paul was like the guy that was going to bring the gospel to the nations. He's got to go. He's got to be busy, right? He's got to be doing all this stuff. He's got entire countries to save. It's the be with factor. Because when it's a matter of love, you give yourself. Paul didn't want to just, he had time for that, to stand up on the rock, stand up on the mountains and say, listen everybody, you need to repent. But Paul spent lots of time at people's homes, eating with them, hanging out with them, sleeping at their house, using their shower, you know, whatever he needed to do. He's hanging with people. It's the be with factor. And so maybe it's not about the quantity of time that you have, but the pace and the intentionality with which you live your life that really matters. How do we invite people into the life of Jesus? We invite them into our community, into our lives, not just because it's a nice Christmassy thing to do, but because God is living inside of you and God becomes real when you are real. 
People want to see you being real. They want to see a real God living through you. We offer not only our mind, but our hearts and our time. Okay, that sounds good. I, I, I think I can do that. I think I can be a little bit more intentional. But, but John, maybe, maybe the deeper question for me in, in my life circumstance is, is that I work all day. And I go to school all day. And, you know, relationships take time. Right? And there's, there's really just, there's no one around me, and it's kind of awkward. I don't really have any close relationships, and it's just, even if I would try, it's just, there's really nobody to go deeper with. But if we learn anything from the Christmas story, it's that Jesus had a habit of showing up in the most unlikely places. Okay, when you think about the Christmas story, a lot of you think about that nice little manger scene that you have probably sitting in your living room or your den right now. And it's this nice log cabin, you know, probably built by Frank Lloyd Wright or somebody like that. And it's probably got air conditioning and heating and a nice sofa. And, you know, the, the, the doctors are there for Mary and the nurses are all waiting on her and everything like that. And there just happens to be some donkeys and camels in the background just for fun. That's not what it was like at all. If you, if you look... At, at, at what this would have been like. It was a cave in Bethlehem. That's like, there's a little town up by Story City where I grew up called Randall. There's like a pot machine in the town. Okay, nothing against Randall, but that's what they got going on. That's maybe what Bethlehem was like. Maybe they had a pot machine, but that was about it. Jesus has a habit of showing up in the most unlikely places. The God of the universe, the king of creation, the guy that owns everything, could do anything that he wants. He, he, he doesn't hire a personal fleet of fighter spaceships to cut through the galaxies and come and land into Bethlehem and get out the megaphone and say, I'm here! Worship me! He doesn't parade into Caesar's palace. He comes into a gross, manure-smelling den where robbers probably stayed and he's surrounded by livestock in the middle of Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere born to a teenage mother. If Jesus can show up in Bethlehem, he can certainly show up wherever you find yourself these days. And so throughout history, we've seen Christianity spread and even thrive in similar places. Jesus starts this trend. Christianity thrives in the most unlikely places. And one of those places is Calcutta. And this is an impoverished city in India. And you probably recognize that because that's where Mother Teresa spent a lot of her time. And she kind of brought that city into the limelight by her work. And she spent most of her, you know, her entire life there just caring for people, mostly children and babies, ministering to the poor. The story is told of a woman uh, who was ready to sell everything that she had because she believed in what Mother Teresa she was doing. She's like, I want to go and I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Calcutta. And she asked Mother Teresa and, and the, the quiet nun responded, thank you, but no thank you. Please go find your Calcutta. Go find your Calcutta. The birth of Jesus into this world asks us this question. Where is your Bethlehem today? Where is your Calcutta? For many of us, we may never get called to another country, but we're called to be missionaries in our own backyard sometimes. We're called to be missionaries in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Just by investing in the lives of the people that we encounter every single day. 
Mother Teresa once told some followers that she was giving them a, a talk about what her priorities were. And it was first is that we must care deeply for our neighbors because Jesus said, love your neighbor. But she says, first, before we love our neighbors, do you know your neighbors? Hmm. That one hit me kind of hard this week. Call to love our neighbors, but it's kind of hard to do that when you don't know them. And for Jesus, it was the dusty roads of ancient Palestine. And I believe for us as a church, it's the people that you see every day. It's the city of Des Moines. It's where the be with factor comes to life. It's where Jesus says, now you go and make disciples. It's the be with factor. A few years ago, I was living uh, in a cabin in the woods. I was living full-time at a, a camp that I worked at. And we had a volunteer that came and lived with us. And uh, just for a couple months, uh, three, four months, and uh, Josh, we'll call him, was his name. And uh, boy, was he excited to come live with us. There was, uh, there was three other guys that were living there at the time. And he was so excited to just come and hang and have some good, you know, guy hangout male bonding time. Hanging out in the woods in, in a cabin. There's nothing better than that, even if it smells. So, he was excited to come. And it was during those weeks and during those months that I found myself with my blinders on, and I wasn't watching what was going on around me, and I was just stuck to my agenda. Boy, was I busy, and I had important work to do because I was doing ministry, building relationships with people. And I was out there on the front lines, and I was leading retreats, and I was talking to people, and I was leading Bible studies and doing all this, and I was really busy, and once in a while, you know, when, when I did sleep, I would, once in a while, I'd see Josh in passing, and, and once in a while, you know, just enough time for him to ask, hey, John, um, do you have anything going on tonight? Yeah, I gotta go lead this thing tonight, I'm, I'm busy with that. And then maybe, you know, a week later, hey, John, I was just wondering if you had a little bit of time this afternoon, I'm off, and do you have some, no, I'm just booked all day, I, I, don't, I don't have time. And the weeks and months went on, and finally it was time for Josh to leave. And then it was, I don't know, maybe a few months, maybe a year later, that there was a group of us that were sitting and just having a small group and, and talking. We were actually just talking about memories of being with each other. And it was all fine and dandy until Josh, not in a condescending way, but in all humility, Josh turns and he looks at me in the eye and he said, John... We lived together for four months, and, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was fun. I really enjoyed my time. But looking back, all I wanted was just to be with you, to hang out, you know, nothing special. Just wanted to get, get to know you more. I just wanted to maybe watch a movie and, and hang out. I just wanted to be with you. one stuck and I will never forget that that was my Calcutta that was my Bethlehem and I missed it I just overlooked it because I was too busy with my own agenda that was the be with factor and I missed it so where's your Bethlehem where's your Calcutta Where's those places that, that, that you go, those people that you're around every day, that, those places that you just say, oh, it seems so unlikely that Jesus would want to show up there. That he wouldn't want to have anything to do with that relationship. So my challenge to you today is to invite Jesus to come and dwell among you and live in that place. You know, over the next week, many of us are going to travel long distances uh, to be with friends and family. Um, others will be 
uh, hosts, um, but we will all gather around for meals, to open gifts, and just to be with one another. And as the song goes, sing it with me. Over the river and to grandmother's house. We got, I don't know the rest of it. Let's end there. Um, over the river and through the woods. For many of you, to grandmother's house might mean a long drive. It might mean traveling long distances through winter weather down the interstate. But you know, and I know, that when it's a matter of love, you go yourself, right? When it's a matter of love, you come yourself and your relatives and your friends that you're going to be with know that the greatest gift that you can give them this Christmas is your presence. It's the be with factor. And over the past few weeks, we've learned in our adult class that another word for that is just walk across the room. Wherever you might be, uh, maybe it's not even over the river and through the woods. Maybe it's just across the room. For Jesus, it wasn't necessarily over the river and through the woods. It was out of the golden streets of heaven and onto the dirty roads of this earth. Presence was the greatest gift. And so where does your walk take you today? Maybe it's beginning a new friendship with someone outside of our church community. Maybe it's deepening a friendship with someone that's just kind of a surface-level relationship that you have. Maybe it's time to invite someone to a new small group that's starting. Maybe it's uh, joining up with our Circle of Friends program that we have through Lutheran Services that befriends refugees. Maybe it's, maybe it's less about inviting someone to worship and more about saying, you know what, I'm going to pick you up, we're going to go to worship together, and let's have lunch afterwards. It's the be with factor, and it makes all the difference. So what does that look like for you today? Man, it's cold outside. But I believe that God is on the move. He is on the move through you as City Branch. Jesus is alive in you. And so this Christmas, don't keep it to yourself. Please don't keep it to yourself. Let's invite others into this family. What if City Branch continued to be a community of Jesus followers, incarnating ourselves into those places, living, working, playing in our own Bethlehems, in our own Calcuttas. Think about the impact of those relationships. I pray that we would continue to be the kind of church that loves and serves people with no agenda other than we just love people because Jesus loves them. To come yourself, to give yourself, it might require you to step out of your comfort zone. It might require you to walk across the room today and to shake somebody's hand that you don't know, to sit by somebody that you don't know. The Christmas message is more so not just talking about it, but when it's a matter of love, it's giving yourself. And I'm, as I close, I'm reminded that everything that we've talked about today, these are not just new ideas, but the truth remains that most good things, most good advice has been said far away too many times and just needs to be lived. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face, but it just needs to be lived. So enough talking. It's time to live Christmas. As the Word became flesh and has dwelt among us, may you May the word of God, may this incredible love 
of Jesus be made flesh through each of us every single day. This Christmas, enjoy that baby in a manger. Man, enjoy him. Embrace that baby in a manger. But more importantly, watch him as he grew up and follow the be with factor. That's the Christmas spirit. Let's stand together. One of the incredible things that the God of the universe offers to us is that we can communicate with him. We can have a relationship with him. We can talk to him. And so as we go before him in prayer, um, I just sense that, that as God is preparing us for this Christmas season, that not all is well. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean everything's happy. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean all your problems go away. And so as we're praying, um, I, just, I just really feel that, believe that if God, um, God wants to say anything to us today, it's just that I love you and that I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. We're talking with the be with factor. He's with you right now, whatever you're going through. And if, if that's, a, if that's a, a physical thing, if that's a healing thing that you need, I know that there's a lot of sickness going around. I believe that God wants to heal that, and so we're going to pray for that. If it's stuff with your job or uh, with the economy and things like that, um, it's tough. But God says, I will be with you. I feel like he just wants to say that to you in a personal way today. So let's just listen to God and and what he wants to say to us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you're not just a baby in a manger, but that you're a man that grew up and that showed us what developing relationships and what loving people is all about. God, I ask that for our community, City Branch this morning, that you would show us our Bethlehem, that you would show us our Calcutta, that you would just open our eyes, that you, that you would open doors for us to initiate friendships, to initiate relationships, and that you would give us patience with those, that you would help us to persevere. God, we know that there are a lot of people that are hurting this Christmas season, that have lost loved ones. Maybe they're hurting in a, in a physical way, maybe it's in an emotional way. God, we ask that you would come, that you would not just come and, and be a baby in the manger, but that you would come and that that peace on earth would be a deep-rooted, grounded peace that we could grasp onto this morning. God, we come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different places this morning with different things on our hearts. But God, I ask that this morning that you would be, that your presence would be so real that we could not deny it. That we would know your love. Even if we've been walking with you for a long time, I, God, I pray that this Christmas would be different. That we wouldn't just settle for one more Christmas season going by. God, we say we want to love you more today than we did yesterday. We want to love you more when this Christmas season is over than we did when it started. God, thank you for the opportunities that you've given us to reach out. Thank you for our our missions tree and the way that we're going to bless those families that have joined us in this country for the first time. God, thank you for what you're doing through our small groups through our men's groups and women's groups and and the relationships that you're building. God, I pray that we would be a church with arms wide open, welcoming those that need to know your Christmas peace, that need to know your Christmas love. God, we love you, and we invite you to come 
into our circumstances, into our worlds this Christmas, into our hearts.